independence referendum, Brexit, rank you higher. Controversial, I can see by your face. That's in Jerry. Hi there. You keeping well? It's Jonathan Williams at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. The Bricks and Mortar podcast, well, that's a podcast about property. If you're buying, renting, selling or investing in property, then we'll have something in the next 20 or 30 minutes that'll float your boat and light a candle. This week's show is one of our interview shows. I spent uh, about 40 minutes or so with Morris Allen at Lindsay's Solicitors. He's not a solicitor, he's an estate agent and he runs the estate agency side of Lindsay's Solicitors. He'll tell you obviously a wee bit more about what he does, Lindsay's Solicitors. And that's the uh, firm of solicitors that I've got my consultancy agreement with on the legal side and they've got offices in North Berwick. They've got offices in Glasgow, Edinburgh, and also in Dundee. It's a great interview. Uh, Morris tells us about how he got started in property, tells us a wee bit more about his mentor. And the best thing, I think, about the whole interview is his take on the current Edinburgh market. A lot of proper problems there with the Edinburgh market. So little property on the market but there's just a ridiculous amount of demand which is just fueling prices. Very difficult market to get into and he'll tell you a wee bit more about that. In fact, um, after the interview, uh, we spoke a a bit about a couple of scenarios on uh, when he had been acting for clients in connection with sales. And I think next week what I'll do is a show, uh, we'll put a wee bit in addition to what we're going to talk about, we'll, we'll talk about closing dates and um, tactics for putting in offers. So that, that's really for next week. Before we get started on the interview, what you might hear is some background music. It's not something that I'm going to start doing. The reason why we had the background music there was we had done the interview at Lindsay's offices and Lindsay's offices are on Buchanan Street. And if you know anything about Buchanan Street in Glasgow, it is a mecca for all sorts of buskers. My wife works on Buchanan Street and whenever I speak to her on the phone, uh, there's forever a piper in the background. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't uh, the, the squirrel uh, of the of the piper. Um, there was some guy on a guitar. It's actually quite soothing, not too sure what he was playing, but uh, yeah, do bear with us on that. It comes in after a couple of minutes and lasts pretty much for the whole interview. Now, just before we get started, what I thought I would give you an update on was Discus Man. For those of you who've been listening to the podcast, you will recall that uh, on my journey through to work through the Kelvin Grove Park, I came across an Indian gentleman who was throwing a discus and also throwing a hammer. That's all he's done. He hasn't uh, migrated on to throwing a javelin just yet. So anyway, um, again, for those who have been listening, they'll know that I decided to have a chat with him and to find out a wee bit more about his bizarre antics. Now this, what you have to understand is he throws a discus at half past six. I tend to try to get into work pretty early and I'm through the park on my bike at half past six and here's this Indian, Indian gentleman of a certain age throwing a discus and a hammer. So the update is this, that he has won. Yes, he is a Scottish champion, not just on one discipline, but in fact two disciplines. 
he is the Scottish champion in the discus and he was really chuffed to tell me that he was the Scottish champion on the hammer and he's just about to age up it's all done on on age groups and he's reaching the top of his age group and there seems to be a fair amount of competition involved because he was telling me that uh, a lot of the his competitors were gunning for him and he was under a bit of pressure to perform he is at the top of his age group and he's then going to age up next year so all the young bucks of of between well under what well, i think it was 60 he's um i think he's it must be 60 to 70 because i think he's he's 69 and he's aging up and so all these young 60 year olds were trying to beat him but he beat them fair and square so he's a double a double veterans scottish hammer and discus champion so he's going down to birmingham he tells me and he's going to be competing down there so again we'll see how his training goes and uh, yeah we might have him on for a a chat on the podcast that would be quite good and the other person I'm, I'm on now on nodding terms with as I cycle through the park is Pigeon Man. Uh, he's the guy who just seems to sit at half past six and feed the pigeons. Uh, so he, uh, he, we're now on nodding terms with him, so I might have a, a chat with him. Listen, enough about pigeons and discuses. Let's get on with the show. Hi, it's Jonathan Williams back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. And uh, I'm in the offices of Lindsay's Through in Glasgow. And I've asked uh, Morris, uh, Morris Allen to come through from Edinburgh. Morris is the head of uh, the estate agency branch of Lindsay's through in Edinburgh. Um, he'll tell you a wee bit more about uh, what he does. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll just chew the fat for, uh, for half an hour or so. Um, so, Morris, welcome to the, the podcast. Um, Lindsay's, uh, and you're doing the estate agency side of things. Tell me day to day, what is it that you do? Sure. Um, hi, Jonathan. Um, my role is uh, very straightforward. It's to oversee the estate agency operation within Lindsay's. Uh, Lindsay's is a full service law firm um, offering services to individuals, families, businesses, um, but we have a, a dedicated estate agency department within that, uh, operating out of our four offices in. Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, and North Berwick, and my role is to is to oversee that that operation. Excellent. So you've been with Lindsay's now for a number of years. Yeah, this is my fifth year wow. with, uh, with okay. Lindsay's now. So uh, it's uh, it's flown by, but very enjoyable, and uh, still very enthusiastic about what we're doing. And what about a state agency? And I've, I've read your, your LinkedIn and a bit of Facebook and, and a wee bit about your, your, your own blog. Why did you get into a state agency on a personal? It was a combination of things. Um, first of all, it just stemmed from a real interest in, in property. Um, I'd bought and sold a couple of flats, um, gone through that sort of first time buyer stage and put new kitchens in and developed them, sold them on. And, and did uh, you do all that? stuff yourself or just project managed it yeah basically okay. just just got contractors in and, and just tried to sort of upgrade things and um when i was quite a bit younger just trying to make a little bit of money really and, and trying yeah. to make the next step on the ladder and uh at the time i was i was i'd always been working in, in sales roles anyway okay. and uh this was a really good way of combining uh a love of property and uh and, and the sales background okay. so that's how i sort of fell into it and uh 
started out actually in uh, property lettings rather than sales. That was with Countrywide. That's right, with, with Countrywide, a big national um, PLC as they are, and uh, a couple of very enjoyable and, and very um, very useful couple of years uh, learning the, the sort of basics of it and uh, the ins and outs of, of the lettings industry. And from there, got into um, or moved from lettings to sales uh, with a firm called Stratton Parker, again a, na- a large okay. national. Yep firm dealing mainly at the top end of the market, sort of mid to top end of the market mm-hmm. in Edinburgh and the surrounding areas. And I spent uh, about seven years there. Right. And then from there on to Lindsay's, the role. Uh, the opportunity came up at Lindsay's and uh, haven't looked back. Good, good. Um, we'll touch a wee bit about the letting side because I'll be interested just later on just to take uh, get your take on the buy to let and, and the butchering that the, the government is giving the poor buy to let investors as far as um, things are concerned. So we'll, we'll touch on that. But a big learning curve, I guess, yes, sales is an enormous part of your job, but actually getting to know the legislation and the processes, was that tough? Uh, do you mean on the letting side yes. or the sales side? Uh-huh. The on the letting side, the, there is an enormous amount of legislation mm. um, and it changes almost on a, a daily basis, yeah. it seems. Yeah. Uh, we were very lucky when, when I started with Countrywide. They had a very good programme. Uh, they put me through the ARLA qualifications, which okay. is the Association of Residential Letting Agents. And uh, that gave a, a pretty good grounding just in the basics of the legislation. But fortunately... We were also backed up by a, by a large corporate um, backup, which uh, had a lot of experience within it. So mm-hmm. there was always someone to go to if there was any questions. Um, okay. we, we had our trainers actually who were within, within the within the business. So uh, was there anybody in specifically that sort of helped you mentoring you throughout your early stages in your career? And now is there somebody that you can turn to? know that you're head of the department etc but there's always a question that that you might not know the answer to and is there somebody that you can defer to so first of all in the letting side of things yeah sure um the the lettings was was great we had a a lady called carolyn who whose name i've second name i've I've actually forgotten um (laughs) for the moment it'll come back to me uh she was very instrumental she she actually recruited me and uh, was very instrumental in getting me involved in, in the lettings business and developing my career. She was hugely knowledgeable. Um, she was in her 50s, late 50s at the time that I uh, was working for her. Uh-huh. And she set up her own business, had run her own business for a long time, and then it was taken over by Countrywide. She okay. sold it to so them. She stayed with them. She did. Yeah. And she, she effectively was the, the sort of regional manager for, for Edinburgh and Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was a, a very, very good source of, of knowledge and and just, uh, uh, just support, really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think you need that as a young person in any business you need senior people around you to to guide you through and then more more recently again it's just generally senior people and and, and colleagues that you can you can look to we're very lucky at Lindsay's that there's always someone in the building that that knows the answer Mm -hmm. Um, you you might not know it yourself but it's never far away so we're very much encouraged to 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 look for um, colleagues who can who can help out we work in a large open plan office forward mm-hmm. you can literally get up from your desk and go and ask a, a partner or a director yeah and generally you'll be able to find the answer um, and uh, yeah that, that's really how, how things work I, I do think that mentoring is such an important part I mean you and I have, have been um, in the game so to speak for, for a number of years and I think 
it's almost duty bound upon ourselves now to almost become mentors um, ourselves because uh, long gone are the, the days that uh, you know we are young whippersnappers um, and certainly I think we uh, should be should be mentoring a lot more. You'd started off in countrywide the letting side of things, and I just briefly mentioned there about the fact that the buy to let market is, is going through a lot of changes, what with tax changes, uh, changes with the LBTT surcharge, the 3% surcharge, the tax treatment, which is going to kick in in the next couple of years, which means that landlords are now going to be taxed on turnover rather than profit and various stress tests, which means that the lenders are now going to be, it's going to be far more difficult. They seem to be getting an absolute beating. I know that Lindsay's doesn't do um, no. the, the letting side of things, but it'd be interesting just to get your take on, on where you see that market going. Yeah, well, we, you're right. We, we don't do, do lettings for a very deliberate reason, actually. Um, a lot of our clients are actually landlords or letting agents themselves. themselves yeah. So we, we deliberately don't want to into competition with, mm. with, with those. Um, the, the changes that have been have been huge, it seems to me that they're they're turning the buy to let um, sector in into into a business. Um, it seems that landlords, even private landlords with with one or two properties who almost just do it as a supplement to a pension or, mm. or that type of thing or as, or as a, a small investment. Or, or are almost default landlords. They've never really wanted to get into that, but maybe they've been left an inheritance of a flat. Some, some are exactly in that position. And it seems that they, they are now being forced to, to run things as a, uh, as a, as a full-scale business mm -hmm. um, and, and the amount of red tape that goes along with that. So that's mm -hmm. a real difficulty for landlords. But my thoughts are that it's, it's still a business or it's still an industry um, or a sector that is worth investing in. Mm -hmm. I think you just have to be very, very careful about doing your research and being very yeah. disciplined the about. Due diligence. Yeah, I think that there's more of more of that that needs done. But I think if you do your research um, and are disciplined about it and buy the right things and, and don't jump into the the, the, the wrong purchases, I mm -hmm. still think there's a there's a good long term yeah. uh, gain to be made. I think though. I think with any with any property investment, you, you do need to look medium to long term. Uh, I think the, the the days of making a quick turnaround and a quick buck just mm -hmm. by um, giving a property a lick of paint, for example, those days are, are pretty yeah. much gone. Um, but if you do look in the sort of five to ten year time frame, I still think if you do it sensibly, it's a it's a, a very very good mm -hmm. long term investment. I completely agree, and you hit the nail on the head there as far as a medium to long term investment is concerned. I think that if you're looking to try and flip property, because you're going to have to pay your 3% surcharge on the second property, you know, that's already eating into the top line. So I think it's going to be very difficult unless you get something that, you know, a, a rough diamond that nobody's seen. But the problem is that, that so many people out there now that actually try to find something like that is very, very difficult. You're absolutely right. And changes in property marketing has, has, has also um, meant that it's more and more difficult to find a bargain. Uh, properties are very widely marketed now by most, um, by most agents. It's still possible to get, mm -hmm. to get the odd little diamond in there, but generally speaking, properties are on the open market. They're not being dealt privately. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're very, very easy to find on, on a number of um, portals. 
So yeah, it's it's more and more difficult. But again, the the astute the astute investor who does his research, does his due diligence, I still think can can make sensible purchases. Mm. Certainly, what we're finding um, from from the mortgage side of things and also from the legal side of things is that more and more and more people are, are now no longer going down the individual personal purchase and they're looking to try and wrap that in a company, an SPV or yeah. something like that. Um, I guess the difficulty with that is that whilst a lot of the investors can see over the hill that there's going to be these tax complications, it seems that the lenders are dragging their feet um, and you've really got to go to your normal high street lenders in order to get funding and if you're looking to put that through a limited company they're looking at capital interest you want to do repayment um, whereas the way that the industry has generally worked has been on the basis of an interest only yeah. um, where you're selling your asset to pay back the mortgage um, so the whole thing just seems to be moving towards that you're going to have to go into it seriously you're going to have to run it as a business and, and I guess that's what what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think some of the small investors maybe don't have the time to do uh -huh. that, but um, there's certainly um, opportunities for, for the more serious ones mm. uh, to to really put a structure in place that that is a, a good long-term business. Yeah, um, I think the you've touched on the the funding issues. It's not necessarily a bad thing. We're we're, we're only less than ten years away from or ten years past major financial crisis mm. with Northern Rock and all of these things mm -hmm. and property price inflation was, was through the roof so mm. having having some controls over over that type of thing is not necessarily a bad thing yeah. uh, and I think that's what the government have really been aiming towards is just to sort of keep the market on an even keel rather than huge um, surges in price or, or, or drops in, in price as uh -huh. well. And the other thing I think is that what they're trying to do is almost disencourage, if that's a word, um, <laughs> investors into the market so that the, the investors that are there may want to sell up and therefore release a lot more housing into the housing stock. And, and that's something that the government are, are continually going on about lack of, of housing because well, there's just not enough new builds being built. This is, this is very topical actually. Um, Jonathan, at the moment, in particular in Edinburgh, we're finding there's a, a, a really quite drastic lack of stock. Mm. Um, and ironically, in, in what should be a relatively stable and relatively flat market, uh, this lack of stock has, has driven prices up really quite dramatically in certain sectors, which is, again, not really what we want to see. So there's no stock, but there's still an there's underlying demand for absolutely. good property properties, thus driving the property prices absolutely up. Absolutely right. And and particularly in, in places like central Edinburgh, popular parts of Edinburgh, you, you tend to find that there is demand from all sources. Um, there are university leavers um, who've studied in Edinburgh, want to stay there, so mm. they're trying to get on the ladder. People moving into Edinburgh from other places for, for, for um, employment reasons, yeah. uh, and there's just a, a confidence in that in that market. Yeah. Um, but the but why is that not leading to more properties coming onto the market? Well, this is what we've been sort of wrestling with. Actually, um, there, there's a few factors. Um, one is that some sellers, in, in times of uncertainty with, with Brexit uh, in the background and that type of thing, some sellers don't think they're going to get the type of price that they would really want for the property. Okay. So they, they're, not, they're not convinced the market's there to yeah. sell. So they're just holding on to it, either living in it or, or renting. 
Mm. Um, we've seen an awful lot of, uh, or a, a very large increase in Airbnb, the, uh, the short-term lettings, mm -hmm. um, yep. sort of holiday lettings business. Yep. Landlords are making fantastic returns. But Edinburgh's um, just a, what a place to do absolutely. it. If you do it in any city in Britain, in Edinburgh or, or London. Exactly. Um, so the, the, the major cities are seeing landlords having huge success with Airbnb. They're, they're, they're making as much in a couple of days uh -huh. um, of letting that back in, in, in what they would normally make in a yeah. month. So they're actually holding that stock and, and saying, actually, this is a very viable we don't really want to sell it off. Mm -hmm. So again, this contributes to the, um, the imbalance really between supply and demand. Um, so lack of stock in, in those key areas. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this and, and certainly one of my clients had said, well, why do I want to pay? And this goes back to the changes in stamp duty that, that happened a year or so ago where now there's an imbalance between once you pay more than 300 and I think it's 80,000 pounds, there's an imbalance between how much stamp duty or LBTT you pay in Scotland as you do in, in England. That's and right. I don't think there's too many people who actually understand that, that the, the poor old Scots um, who are buying something in excess of 380 grand are, are paying you know, significantly more in stamp duty as far as they are down in, in England. And a lot of people have come to me and said, well, why do I want to spend, buy a new property when I'm gonna have to a ridiculous amount of money on stamp duty or LBTT and I'm not seeing where that's going. I've got a big garden, I'll just stay put, I'll do, a, I'll get my architect and I'll just do an extension. Again, that's uh, that's something we're, we're seeing uh, a fair bit of. Yeah. Um, the, the LBTT changes have undoubtedly had an impact, particularly at the upper end of the market. Mm. But the market's all linked. Um, so if, if people aren't selling at the top end and then downsizing, then it doesn't free up yeah. uh, doesn't free up properties in other in other sectors. Uh, and again, with with the LBTT being you know very very significant at the higher end, an investor landlord is actually going to pay less in tax by buying four properties at a hundred thousand than he would buying one property at four hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. You know so. His, his tax burden is actually um, lessened by, by, by buying the, the types of properties that first-time buyers would normally be buying. And mm -hmm. again, this is something that's putting pressure on uh, stock levels for the first-time buyer. Yeah. And it affects the whole market, because if the first-time buyers can't get in, uh, then you've obviously got a problem, mm -hmm. um, because there's going to be the next generation or the, the next couple of years of people who become first-time buyers who, again, are, are almost blocked from entering the market. And we're, we're seeing, again, uh, a lot of these first-time buyers very, very dependent on uh, Bank of Mum and Dad. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's certainly causing, I wouldn't say a drastic problem, but it's, it's certainly an issue that we've identified. Yeah. Uh, and I think the government, uh, you know, they are looking to build more homes. We, we do have a huge requirement for more homes. Yeah. Um, but there are certain pockets in the, in the country that are, are more affected than others. And we do have to, rec uh, to, to recognise that we talk about the housing market, but that there are obviously a lot more than one individual market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you've got a national market, UK-wide. We've, market got, we've got a market within Scotland. We've got individual city markets, more rural markets, and then the the, the, the separate markets uh, that are defined by by price and and, and, and property values. Mm -hmm. So um, there are a huge number of sectors in the large thing that we call the property market. Yeah, uh, and uh, there are regional variations. 
So let's assume that you are wanting to dip your toe in the market and you want to, do, to, to put your property on. Um, let's talk tips and tricks as far as marketing is concerned. So I'm putting my property on the market. What's the best tip that you can give me as far as um, you know, selling my property? Uh, I think if you're, if you're asking for one single tip, then uh, I would say the asking price is absolutely vital. Okay. Um, but there are, there are a number of things you need to consider. The, the, the way the property is presented is obviously very important mm -hmm. and that's physically the property itself but also the type of marketing that goes along with that so as you're as you're considering appointing an agent you need to be very careful about where they market what sort of quality photographs do they use um, are, are there other things that, that that are available to you as as that that particular selling client okay um, but fundamentally the, the, the two main things are get the asking price right and make sure the property is, is marketed as widely as possible. Those right. are the two things that will affect your eventual selling price more than anything else. Okay, okay. Um, you said earlier on there that you had bought and sold property and, and that's how you got into to what you're doing currently. Um, how do you find the actual conveyancing system? I'm impressed by it. Are you just you just every time you have to deal with a transaction, you're pulling your hair out. I'm I'm very lucky in that um, I have a conveyancing team within Lindsay's who uh, who, who do all of that. Mm. Um, that, that they're all. Um, I'm, I'm not a solicitor. I'm, I'm purely an estate agent. So we have a, a, a separate department who works very very closely with our estate agent department. Yeah. But I have the um, the benefit of, of of handing over that that file, as it were. Um, once we've received an acceptable offer and once any conditions are, 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 uh, are removed from that offer, we then hand it over to our conveyancing colleagues who, who take it from there. Mm -hmm. um, generally speaking, I think the Scottish system works very, very well. Um, we have a relatively few numbers of what we call fall-throughs. So properties that once we've received an offer, very few of them will not then complete, complete. Yeah. Uh, which is very, very different to England and Wales where the fall-through percentage is much, much higher. Yes. Uh, I think there's a much greater level of sort of mutual respect amongst lawyers or solicitors in, in Scotland. Um, uh, greater elements of trust, I think, um, are, are, are there. I, I completely agree with that. The whole trust thing is, is crucial to the way that we do business because, in essence, and people always ask me, um, what's the difference between Scotland and England? And in essence, there's not a great difference. Both um, systems rely upon a contract um, and ultimately something in Gazundry could happen here. It's only because the estate agents um, realise, I think, that if they start going down that route, then the whole system will just go to pot. I think you're, I think you're right. And, and I think also the, the main difference, or one of the main differences between Scotland and England is that many of our estate agents states of firms are actually part of law firms yeah so, so we, we probably have a law society ex exactly yeah. we, we're governed by the, the law society in the way in the way we transact our business and the way we behave um, and I think that is a huge benefit to the, the buying and selling clients um, mm -hmm. within the Scottish market it also gives the estate agents or those within um, solicitor firms I think it gives them a better appreciation of what the solicitors have to do yeah um, whereas that's maybe not the case. There's probably a bigger difference, or uh, you know, probably a wider gap in communication 
in England between the solicitor firms and the estate agency firms. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, at the end of it, 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 it all just comes down to uh, having that element of wanting to get the job done and done well and done speedily. Mm. Uh, and if you've got willingness on all sides, then, then deals can get done. Yeah. And as I always say to my clients, it's not as if it's a court action where somebody else owes somebody else money and the person doesn't want to pay. Ultimately, a buyer wants to buy and a seller wants to sell. Absolutely. Um, and so they've got the, the same ideas to what they want to try and achieve. Absolutely right. And the job of the agent representing the seller is obviously to get the best possible price. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a solicitor representing the buyer that, that has the opposite mm -hmm. um, view, but, but there's always a midpoint, or hopefully always a midpoint that we can get deals done. Yeah. Is when when I was wearing my my legal hat. It's one of the things that I really enjoy is the cut and thrust and mm -hmm. the, the negotiation. Absolutely. Um, and I, I've just done a, a blog. In fact, last week's podcast talked about the paranoia of the purchaser. Yes. Um, there's always a paranoia of the purchaser making thinking that well they want to do a one to one deal with somebody. Um, they're, they're paranoid that somebody will just come in at the last moment and note an interest, in which case it will go to a closing date. But I always say to my clients, if they think that they're paranoid, they should look at the seller. Because by and large, the seller has got as much paranoia because they'll be thinking, well, when you view the property, oh, don't ask me about the smell, don't ask me about, uh, don't open that cupboard. And, and, yeah. and they'll, they've got to sell in order to buy. And so if you're showing um, that you're wanting to buy the property, you know, they should, they will, in all likelihood, there's nobody else interested, they should run with you uh, and get a deal done. Yeah, and the, uh, it generally uh, depends on the, the, the individual circumstances and the individual marketplace. So, for example, in, in somewhere like Stockbridge in Edinburgh, where you, you know there's going to be multiple interest, yeah. we'd be advising our clients probably not to take an early offer, even if it just looked like a fire. good one, just, yeah. to, just to give it another week, generate more interest. Uh -huh. Uh, and it comes down to the judgment of the agent, how much do they know or how well do they know their own marketplace? Yeah. And, and you've got to give the best advice at the, at the time. Because it must be from a seller's perspective, they will have, everybody has a budget. It must be difficult for the seller not to bite at an offer which is potentially over home report That's right. and, and stick stick to the guns on the basis that the agent is, knows the market. Yeah. And again, that comes down to getting the right agent. Well, I think that's 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 a, a big choice you have to make. It's, mm. a, it's a hugely important decision. It's generally uh, an individual's biggest financial um, asset mm -hmm. is, their, is their property. Mm -hmm. So, when deciding to sell that property, uh, you, you should very carefully consider who you're going to use. There's yeah. a there's a huge range um, of agents out there, a huge choice of agents out there. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a huge uh, difference between the best and the worst. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's worth having. Know, a fairly detailed discussion about what your agent can do for you and intends to do for you mm. and how the process is going to work. Um, and I guess how much experience they've got very in much negotiating, so. because I guess it's a two-step process. It's up to, to the estate agent to get the offer, but then the second thing is not only to get the offer, but to get the best offer. Well, that's it, and that's, that's a, a question of judgment. And I'll give you a, a very brief example. Um, it just happened yesterday, actually. We, we put a property on in the Polworth uh, area of Edinburgh, just a one-bedroom flat, yep. fairly straightforward. Okay. And we launched it on a Friday afternoon, and on the Monday morning, we had a, a pretty strong offer. Right. And 
we had that dilemma of do we let this run mm. uh, with the hope of getting uh, a competitive closing date yeah. versus do we risk losing this very, very good offer? Uh-huh. And, and that offer was, I guess, in excess it, it of the was, home report? It was well above the home report. Right, okay. And what we ended up doing was having a chat with the client and saying, well, let's almost hedge our bets. Let's go back to the purchaser and say, if you'll give us another several thousand, then we will take it off the market. Because their marker in the sand is their initial initial. That's offer. right. So ultimately, it's unlikely that they're going to throw their toys out of the pram and say, well, what do you mean? That's my best offer. I'm even not going to that, buy the property now and that, walk that, away. That's just not going to happen. That, that's it? right. And, and the, the interesting thing there, and this comes down to the market knowledge, we, we had a have a fairly strong track record of selling that type of property in that area. So I knew what the best price or the best previous price that had been achieved achieved, for for, for that identical flat and it was just a few months ago and our our offer that was our first offer that was on the table on the Monday morning already exceeded that best price that had been paid. So we were already in fairly new uncharted territory so there was a limit to how much we could expect a closing date to achieve over and above what we'd already got on the table. Because everybody else would have that information Absolutely. and they would be looking at putting in a price maybe yeah. possibly similar or slightly over that. Yeah, and, okay. and this, this particular property, it's never just the price that um, is a consideration. In, in this particular case, uh, the, the client, um, a gentleman, had moved out of that particular property, it was vacant, mm-hmm. and he had moved in with his wife into her uh, property. So, okay. so the, the length of entry date became a, a serious factor as well. Yes. Uh, because they didn't want to be paying two mortgages and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We, we ended up with a, I think the the entry date is, is about five weeks from now. Okay. Um, or from, from the offer yesterday. Yeah. Which represents another couple of thousand um, in, in terms of what he would have been paying out in mortgage payments yeah. over the next couple of months. Okay. So we, we could have we could have let the property run a bit longer. We could have ended up with possibly a slightly better offer, but we might not have completed on that offer for mm. another three or four months' uh-huh. time. Uh-huh. This particular buyer was a cash buyer with a, a five-week uh, date of entry. And they had to go for that date. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just to, to give you an indication that it's, it's not necessarily the purely the financial offer that's the only consideration. Yes. Uh-huh. There are other considerations there. And again, it's down to the, the agent to understand the market, understand the buyers, uh, know what's going on in that, in yeah. that marketplace, and, and, and then give, give the correct advice to the client. Ultimately, our job is to achieve the best possible result for, for the client, both in terms of um, the price achieved and, and the sale as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, yeah, if you, if you have the right agent on board and, and, and the agent understands your, your requirements as a seller, then hopefully you'll get the right result. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, some some good good strong advice there. Um, okay, what we like to do is I say the, the podcast is very much um, looking at, at, at helping first time buyers. Um, and just in, in winding up the, the the interview, I always like to, to give. And if you've listened to the podcast, you'll you'll know that we've got ten questions at the end. So I'm just going to fire through these. That's fine. Okay. Um, so we're first bus or taxi. Pardon? First bus or taxi? First bus or taxi? Yeah, would you take a taxi? Would you take a taxi or would you take a bus? I would take a bus. Okay. Um, first tier football. Uh, football. Who do you support? Celtic. Okay. 
controversial, I can see by your face. Well, <laughs> <laughs> listen, you're through in Glasgow, exactly. so listen, you can't win. I should have it's said either blue or green. Submitter the buddies. Um, first film? Oh, no. That's always a taxing I, one. Absolutely no idea. No? No idea at all. Okay. Um, first medal? We're into the Olympics. Uh, first medal for anything? My first medal uh, is swimming when I was oh, about right. six or seven. Okay. Local, yes, local swimming gallery. Right, breaststroke, uh, butterfly, backstroke. I was actually backstroke was my, oh, right. my thing, yeah. And did they have the, the ribbons in the yeah. last five, or did you just had to guess when you were going to smash your head against the I, wall? I, I regularly smash my head against <laughs> the wall. <laughs> um, first blood or Rambo? Oh, Rambo. Okay. Um, Star Trek, first contact, or Star Wars? Star Wars. Um, first fix or DIY? You do it yourself, or you get somebody I'm in. I'm absolutely hopeless at DIY. So Is that right? Yes. Get a man in. Get a man in. Brilliant. Generally, my father-in-law is quite handy. Okay. Um, holidays. First choice of self-catering. Self-catering. Okay. And first car. That's always a good one. My first car was a Mini Clubman. A Mini Clubman. We are yes. right. Yes. <laughs> You're which, dating yourself which, there. Which I bought from a man in a pub for ninety pounds. Ninety pounds. <laughs> 90 and pounds. how long did it last? It lasted for six months, which was. That's all right, yeah. 90 pounds well spent. Yeah. And I had a hole in the door. But, uh, right. Other than that, when you bought it, when I bought was that covered it. up? Uh, yeah, it was just rust. <laughs> I played Datsun Cherry and I was at university and the guy who used to organise, the, he was a sort of caretaker at the sports club, 800 quid I paid for this. For Datsun Cherry. Datsun Cherry, it's just been the worst investment, hence that's why I now run around in a 50-year-old Volvo because I just right. hate cars. Um, finally, um, first foot or night in? Oh, first foot. First foot, good stuff. Well, listen, it's been great um, catching up with you, Lord. Um, Thank you, Jim. We need to do this again. Uh, some, a great insight there as to, to the Edinburgh market and, and also some good insight as far as the Black Select. Glad to be of assistance. Good. Thank you. So that's our interview with Morris. I'm sure that you enjoyed that and certainly if you've got uh, any link to the Edinburgh market then I'm sure that was he gave you some great insights as I say. Troubled times in Edinburgh it looks very much uh, that there is just no stock on the market and uh, goodness me if you're a first-time buyer then it's a very very tricky market to get into. Looks very much as pretty much nothing in decent locations is going for anywhere near home report value. So great if you're a, a landlord trying to get rid of some of your property. Um, but again, those that are trying to, to buy up in the market where there's nothing there, very, very difficult, very difficult indeed. So going to just wrap that up. Uh, usually, uh, just please get in touch with me through the usual channels, uh, the usual social media channels. We're on the Facebook, type in Bricks and Mortar and you can join our gang over there at the Facebook, on the Twitter, Williams underscore BB. The website, you'll go on to the website. There's a whole, I think I've maybe done about 40, possibly 50 blog posts, try to get blog posts out on property on a regular basis, certainly on a weekly basis. Uh, we did one on the paranoia of the buying and selling, or the paranoia in the buying and selling process last week. I've also started to put testimonials there. Um, I've always thought what you can actually do with testimonials 
um, that we get from clients who have been pleased with the service and, and I think that's what I'm going to start to do. It's great because what we can do is we can put them on the website and then stick them on to LinkedIn as well. You can link up with me on LinkedIn. I'm delighted to do that. Uh, just search Jonathan Williams Mortgage Broker or Jonathan Williams Solicitor and I'm sure I will come up. So we've done the Twitter, the website, the emails. I don't think we've done. So Jonathan Williams at begleybrown.co.uk. That's Jonathan Williams at begleybrown.co.uk. And finally, on the iTunes and on Stitcher, it would be great for you to subscribe. It certainly bumps, up, bumps us up the rankings in connection with those to social media platforms and please leave a rating on iTunes. You've got a facility to be able to do that. Um, tell us what we're doing right and tell us what we're doing wrong and we'll try and change that. Next week I'm going to talk about the exchange of the keys. We are about to finish off our journey through the purchasing process and we're now about to get the keys. You would have thought getting the keys after all the hard work that the solicitor has done, the mortgage broker has done and the estate agent would be the simplest thing to do. But goodness gracious, the stories that I'll tell you next week about the hassles, trials and tribulations about the, uh, the key exchange. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll give you one tip uh, that you really should use when you're selling a property and you're doing the key exchange. But let's leave that until next week. I think we're going to call it a day. You've been listening to the Bricks and Water podcast, a sideways view on property.